Welcome to this episode of Connect, monthly conversations and resources for faith formation leaders in the Rio, Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church. In this episode, we will be hearing from the Reverend Dr. Scott Hughes as he talks to us about faith formation resources. Scott is Associate General Secretary at Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. He is an ordained elder with experience in adult faith formation. I'm excited for you to hear and learn from Scott today. Um, I am Scott Hughes. I work at Discipleship Ministries. I've been here seven years. As of two months ago, I am the Associate General Secretary uh, of the World Service side of Discipleship Ministries. I was also the Executive Director for Congregational Vitality and Intentional Discipleship and still for a while now carry the title Director of Adult Discipleship. We'll be posting that position in the upcoming weeks. Originally, I am from North Georgia. I'm an elder in the North Georgia Conference. I served two appointments. I was an associate for nine years, and I had a a three-point circuit for four years. I've done that as well and had the pleasure of working with Tanya for roughly a year or so as our time overlapped at Discipleship Ministries and really enjoyed working with Tanya and always enjoy getting a chance to see her again. So it it is a pleasure to to be with you. And so I'm going to read... Uh, passage you're probably very familiar with, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. We'll read this a couple times. So this first time, just, just hear it afresh. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to show you a collection of pictures, uh, four of them. And I want you to choose a picture that to you illustrates the passage or in some way connects with the passage. I'll show these to you twice. And as you choose your picture, just hold that in your mind. Whichever one of these four. So hold that image in your head as I read this passage a second time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So which of the images images did you choose, and why? I'll just pull up the screen. This has got all four of them, so just whenever it hits you, um, just unmute yourself and share which image you chose and why. You know, one of the common themes in all that y'all have said is relationships, right? And how relational this work is. It's it's amazing. And I'm sure I'm preaching the choir here a little bit. You know, how the church typically tries to program discipleship as opposed to uh, highlighting the relational nature of it. Uh, I could pick on any of those um, illustrations as y'all did a great job. And y'all always, every time I do this, you know, someone else points out something I didn't notice in those illustrations. I'm going to pick on two of the words that are in this passage. Uh, Therefore, go. We often think of this word as like, go somewhere else to make disciples. You know, go to seminary, go overseas, 
go. A more literal translation would say something like, as you are going. As you are going. As you are going about the life you already have, be about the business of discipleship. Right? As you are going about being a parent, as you're going about being a spouse, as you're at the ball field, as you're at church, wherever you are, be about discipleship. And then make disciples. Technically, we don't make disciples. God makes disciples. We are in the business of helping to form and shape, mold. Um, I think the message translation uses train disciples. Right, That's the work we get to do, Right, is to train disciples. And, uh, you know, when we read this as, as you are going, train disciples, I think it helps helps us get a vision for where is God guiding us in the work that we're doing. And we're going to talk more about that. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. Um, so I like this imaginative exercise uh, that I do with folks. Uh, imagine in your church, and, and I, I say 20 mature disciples, this may depend upon your church, right? If, if your church is 20, 25 people, you might imagine five. If your church is a large church, you might imagine more than that. So just imagine if you had 20-ish mature disciples in your church, what difference would it make? Here's how I want you to answer the question. What would it smell like? If you had 20 mature disciples in your church, what would it smell like if you had 20 mature disciples in your church? Now, usually I get um, one of two answers. Some of y'all did pretty good kind of mixing them. The one answer is the Christmas breaking bread, potluck, smells really good. And then the other is sweaty, uh, homeless, these sort of smells. And, and, I think you're right to say there is this mixture, this overlap, right, when we're doing things well. My favorite answer, and I do have a favorite answer to this question, um, was someone who said chicken poop. I was like, all right, you're going to have to explain chicken poop because that doesn't make any sense to me why the church smells like chicken poop. And he said our church is located around chicken farms. And if we did our job well, the people we would be inviting into church would bring that smell with them. Chicken poop. Can't say it's an inviting smell, <laughs> but it makes sense, right? If we're doing our work, that's who's coming in. Um, so I, I like doing this exercise at first because it begins to hopefully engage a different sense and, and to give you a bit of a vision for where are we going? What would it look like if we did this work of discipleship well? We talk about discipleship with churches across the connection. And we talk about where does discipleship formation happen. Um, it, depending on geographically, we get one of two answers, right? It happens um, inside the church. It happens in terms of acts of piety, Sunday school, devotional life. Um, in other places, it looks like community engagement, um, acts of mercy. I always do this and kind of forget I have check marks here. Um, so, yeah, church practices um, or community engagement. And oftentimes it's presented as an either or, like that's where discipleship really happens. We know this other thing exists, but this is where it really happens. And, and I hope what we know is discipleship formation happens at the intersection of these things, right? That is, we're doing acts of mercy and acts of piety. That creates a more balanced understanding of discipleship. Now, these are overlapping spheres, right? And we'll talk more in detail about some of this and what this looks like. But when we do this well, if we're doing our 
church practices well, worship, Sunday school, small groups, whatever that looks like, it should lead us into community engagement. And as we're doing community engagement work, it ought to lead us back into worship and back into small groups, right? These things ought to be overlapping spheres of where discipleship formation happens. So what are your biggest challenges in discipleship formation? I'll share some that I've heard. Um, denominational upheaval, right? Are we going to um, leave the church or not? Right? That becomes an issue. Uh, partisanship, uh, political partisanship, um, has become uh, sometimes a challenge to work through. Um, Post-COVID realities, right? People got really comfortable worshiping on the couch. How do we help engage them now? Right. Um, and I heard this said re recently, and I think it's right that in this post, I don't know any other term, I don't know the, a better term at the moment, that post COVID realities and hyperpartisanship and denominational upheaval, there's not a lot of guides for this, right? There's not a lot of experts in what to do when these are for the overwhelming forces right now. And so what that means is you are the experts <laughs> in terms of how to do discipleship right now. So if someone asked the average person in your church, what does your church do? What would their answer be? Typically, when we do this exercise, what we get are activities. Our church does worship. Our church does Sunday school. Our church does this, this. I, I want to ask you another question before I give you any more answers. What's the mission of the Methodist Church? Uh, the Make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So I want to ask the question again, what does your church do? Your church makes disciples. The activities are how you do the work of making disciples, right? Now, this is a visual I came up with because I'm a visual person, right? To me, churches need a culture of discipleship at the core of who they are. And then if we talk about a system, an intentional discipleship system or pathway that's unique to our church that helps us to live that out, um, and then that's where the ministries and events and activities, the fun and formational activities of children's ministry, that's where they live. They come out of and are a part of our culture and our pathway, right? Uh, those are how we go about the work of forming, training disciples. And sometimes it very much takes the, what the, the form of how do we help people live as disciples now, right? In this busy time of their life, as they're overscheduled, as there's information overload, how do we help them form as disciples where they are? I talk about disciple, discipleship being grounded in baptism. We have these wonderful baptismal questions uh, that are really formative in terms of what it means to live as a disciple, uh, renouncing and rejecting and repenting. Um, these are active verbs. Uh, these are what people are promising when they are formed as disciples. Um, accepting freedom and power that God gives, resisting evil, right? These are what people are promising in baptism. Um, confessing our, our um, Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's the one we're probably most familiar with. Um, but you'll notice this, um, you know, preachers, unfortunately, get attacked as a European partisan. They say political. They mean partisan. All right. Right. Um, but really, it's, it's in our baptismal vows that we are about resisting um, and rejecting evil and 
you know, those things. So that it becomes a way of helping people to see we're not just being partisan. Um, and then if done well, the, um, the pastor not only asks the person being baptized or their guardians these questions, they turn to the congregation, right? And the congregation makes a pledge. Um, and I'll read that. That won't work. Uh, with God's help, we'll proclaim the good news, live according to the example of Christ. We'll surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk on the way that leads to life. That's what the congregation is promising. So what my advice to church leaders is to take this with you to your next administrative council or church council meeting and remind them, this is what we promise to do. How are we doing this work? Right? Just begin a conversation. If, if this is what we as a congregation have promised to our children, to our youth, to our adults, how are we living this out? How are we helping them to live this out? And how are we living this out? All our activities should be about helping to form um, baptized disciples. Phil Meadows, I believe it was Phil Meadows, who talks about living wet, right? Living our baptismal vows. We live wet. Right. And I like that image, right, of of living what how do we help people in our community to live as disciples? Um, so every aspect of our church needs to rediscover their why and understand how it connects to making disciples. All right. So our trustees, our SPR, um, all those committee folks should understand what they're doing and how it connects to discipleship, right? That whether we're it's an outreach committee or a trustee committee, they ought to have conversation, if nothing else, of how are they, in the role that they're performing, how do they help make disciples? How are they helping people live into their baptism? I'm going to just ask the question, we'll move on, but how can we help people connect baptism and communion? We didn't talk about that one either, but communion as well, um, to their to their life as a disciple. How, how does what happens on Sunday impact them Monday to Friday? So this is looking in the future a bit. So we have these three resources, our membership vows, meaning of baptism, meaning of Holy Communion. We are at the very emphasis stage of beginning to create some additional resources around these. Um, these are very text-heavy books. Uh, I'm hoping to create something much more introductory uh, for folks to begin to learn what these mean for them, and then to build some children and youth components around these. Uh, because I believe these resources um, and, and the sacraments in general can help begin to do some work of catechesis for our churches to help us to understand what does it mean to be United Methodist, especially in these days. And I believe these resources can help us get there. So when we talk about what is a disciple, we'll spend a few minutes on this. I'm a nerd. So since I've been here at Discipleship Ministries, I've been collecting definitions of discipleship. Some people collect valuable things. I collect um, definitions of discipleship. And so I've got a list for you on that Google Doc. I also have some here in the PowerPoint. And there's not one, there's not one definition of discipleship. There's various definitions of discipleship. And um, as I say that, um, there is a book of definite, a book of discipline. Um, definition may be too strong of a word. Description may be better of discipleship. Uh, I joke and tell people it's found in paragraph 111, or I'm sorry, 1117.2a, and no one ever makes it that far in the book of discipline. 
right? Um, but it says this at that paragraph, a disciple is a witness to Jesus Christ in the world and follows his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty good definition. Uh, I think it's a pretty good definition. One of the reasons I like it, again, from a visual uh, standpoint, is that you can visualize it, draw it out, and it be- can become very easy curriculum for small groups, right, to report. How did you do in justice this week? How are you in compassion this week? How are you in devotion this week? How are you in worship this week? Right. Um, so there's other definitions. I'm going to jump to uh, one of the more recent ones for me anyway. And that comes from Bishop Carter. I've been doing some work with retired Bishop Carter, C-A-R-D-E-R, not Ken Carter, current serving Florida, just so there's a difference there. Uh, he wrote a book called Ministry with the Forgotten. Highly recommend this book. Highly recommend this book. Highly recommend this book. Uh, we've got a, uh, an e-learning course with Bishop Carter on this book, uh, and we open it every few times a year. We'll be opening it again in uh, in January. And he says this, The essence of Christian discipleship is this, participation in the giving and receiving of love. Christian discipleship, then, consists of our participation in, in the triune God's dance of love, whatever our status or capacity. Bishop Carter came to this definition as he was caregiving for his wife, Linda. His wife, Linda, was battling Alzheimer's. Linda was a lifelong Christian educator. Uh, He tells the story, Bishop Carter does, of when he went to serve Linda communion well into her um, battle with Alzheimer's. And he said, you know, this is the body and blood of Jesus. And to which she responded, well, who is Jesus? Right, she'd forgotten who Jesus was, and the point he makes is, Linda may have forgotten Jesus, but Jesus hasn't forgotten Linda. And so he struggles with this definition because you notice there's not a lot of cognitive. It's not about belief, and Bishop Carter would be the first one to tell you beliefs matter, and he's written books on United Methodist doctrine. Right, theology matters, um, but discipleship is giving and receiving of love. Right, it's it's a um, relationship, uh, and so I really appreciate the. And he goes on, and I'll just read this first sentence here. Caregiving is the archetype of Christian discipleship. This has been a big shift for me because I think unintentionally my archetype or best illustration of discipleship looks something more like going to church and being involved in a small group. Now, discipleship happens that way for sure, but I think he's right that Christian discipleship happens in caregiving. And we think about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, right? He is giving us a pattern of what discipleship looks like. And it looks like servanthood, right? It looks like discipleship. It looks like acts of piety and acts of mercy together. And I really appreciate the shifts that he helps us to think. I made this list. I won't read all of them and as sort of my summary to Bishop Carter's book, and, and he said I was right, so that <laughs> gives me some, I feel good about it when he says I'm right. You know, and some of the things he pushes us to see is that those images of discipleship, there were multiple people, right? It wasn't an individual endeavor. It's a communal endeavor, discipleship is. It's a ministry with instead of ministry to, right? And, and y'all know this, and working with children and families, it's not just to them, it's, it's with them. Right, uh, an experiential emphasis instead of cognitive, 
um, ministry of presence instead of programming. Uh, back to that relational aspect of it. And that ministry with of presence ought to um, be ways we encounter the grace and power of God, right? It's in those interactions. And that should lead us back into worship. It should lead us into deeper into scripture. It should lead us back into acts of piety. Uh, communal as communal pastoral care instead of just, hey, it's the pastor's job to do that, right? It's all of our job to be involved. Um, so those are the ways he has, has certainly helped me to think about discipleship. I'm going to share one of the definitions that I, I did not share earlier. Um, this comes from philosopher James K.A. Smith. Discipleship is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. Again, notice the shift away from knowledge, right? But about our passions and our desires. How does our discipleship affect what we desire, what we're passionate about, right? That's a pretty big shift in terms of our aim when it comes to discipleship. Because oftentimes our aim is getting you to have the right thoughts. And what we know is just having right thoughts does not equal right behavior, I know a lot about a di- what a good diet should be like. I also know the diet that I have. <laughs> they, they don't match, right? My, my knowledge and my behaviors don't fit. What I like about this notion of caregiving as the center of discipleship is perhaps that might reform us, reshape our desires and what's really important so that that might actually change our thinking as opposed to our thinking changing our behaviors, perhaps to, Perhaps if we changed our behaviors, it would change our thoughts. That we would become much more humble if we actually did servant types of things. <laughs> right? Um, does that make a little bit of sense in terms of how we aim? I mean, think about the way we've aimed worship. Worship is about transfer of information, unfortunately, as opposed to an encounter with God that ought to reshape our desires and our passions. What if because of worship, I want to be a better husband or father or spouse or coworker because of the God I've encountered in worship, right? That's different than I have new information and in, in, in which to approach something, right? Which may or may not be, sometimes that's helpful. We, we need information. I don't want to downplay information. But I think it would, and I, and I do think for, for faith formation leaders like yourselves, like I, I hope to empower you a little bit in the sense of, what you do really matters, right? I mean, it, it really is your work as advocates for faith formation, not just for children or for youth, but you have this perspective on worship and preaching that matters, right? Because you will see people fall into the trap of, I'm going to give them more information. And I know this because I've been to enough district meetings <laughs> <laughs> where um, someone will talk about something and pastors will go, well, I preached on it. That's nice. <laughs> you you assume people were listening, <laughs> right? But did you give them any actions in which to do something with this that might change them in any way, right? And that's what faith formation does, is it makes us do activities we're uncomfortable with and challenges us to think differently about it because we've done something different. We've done an activity, right? Usually the number one tip to get people to exercise more is to set out their exercise clothes the night before. I've already done that work, right? And so I'm beginning a new behavior, right? So how do we help shift people to 
hey, what if you took five minutes this morning and you, and you prayed, right? And you have to give people the micro habits, right? You know, spend 30 minutes in contemplation. Yeah, okay, thanks, not doing that. <laughs> but how do we help people? Here's a conversation question um, from worship to have with your family this week in the car as you're driving around, right? Giving them Here's a way you can sh- change your behavior in the car as opposed to everybody on their own devices. Have a conversation or at the dinner table or wherever it is. Just begin to shape their habits little by little so that little shifts are happening. And introducing little shifts uh, might lead to bigger shifts. Um, well, thank you for the time today. If there are ways that I can be helpful. Feel free to reach out. Always happy to, to talk discipleship stuff, and uh, with especially with faith formation leaders, because um, I know that work and know how hard that work can be, and um, challenging that work can be when you're not in the um, the first chair, <laughs> when you have to be an advocate from a, another chair. So I understand. Uh, can I pray for us before we leave? Let's pray. Gracious God, I give you thanks. I give you thanks for this day. pray that you would continue to empower them. May your Holy Spirit be poured out among them, that they would dream your dreams and have your visions of where it is you're guiding and leading people. Help them to keep discipleship at the forefront of all that they do. Help them to be an advocate for faith formation in their churches, that others would grow in their love for you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank Scott and all who joined this live conversation. I am so very grateful for the wisdom, the experience, and the resources that help us in the important work of discipleship. As we help those in our communities grow in love of God and neighbor. You can find Scott at umcdiscipleship.org. And you can find all resources for this episode and view past and upcoming conversations at riotexas.org forward slash igconnect. This episode will become available in October of 2022, following which I will be taking maternity leave as I spend some time caring for my family. So check out riotexas.org forward slash IG connect for upcoming connects in 2023. I am looking forward to reconnecting when I return. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at our next connect.